Over 200,000 of the homeless people in the United States of America are women and girls. The most needed and understocked item in homeless shelters, feminine hygiene products. Joy Road Media is proud to tell you about the Clean Love Project. The Clean Love Project's mission is to help women and young girls feel clean, loved, and empowered by distributing clean love kits to alleviate their hygiene needs. Go to thecleanloveproject.org to find out how you can help. The Clean Love Project focuses on the Metro Detroit area, but it also distributes kits worldwide. If you are a female in need of a clean love kit, go to thecleanloveproject.org and request one today. Joy Road Media is a proud supporter of The Clean Love Project at thecleanloveproject.org. me watch the Maltese Falcon. I did. Yes. What do you think? I really liked it a lot. Did you? I really did. Okay, good. I was kind of disappointed maybe a little bit by Casablanca when I watched that a few years ago, mm-hmm. where I just maybe couldn't put it in the time that it was made. And I would really like to revisit Casablanca, mm-hmm. but... Maltese Falcon, I feel like even by today's standards, holds up. Yeah, because it's just about, you know, like people thinking of themselves trying to get money. They say it is the first American film noir mm-hmm. film. And and then some people argue that because it's not really shot in a film noir kind of style with like the Yes and no. The key light making harsh shadows and yeah. stuff like that. It's it's a pretty bright movie for the most part. Yeah. But it it is a detective story, and Mm -hmm. it's groundbreaking for its time, too, where a lot of movies, for the most part, had a clear good guy. Mm -hmm. And I think it's easy to watch it now. It's basically about a detective who's- Not a great dude. Yeah, he's dealing with, like, a bunch of criminals. Mm -hmm. And you kind of know, watching by today's standards, that- Sam Spade is one step ahead of everyone. But yeah. if you're watching this at the time, you're like, oh, my God, like, who am I rooting for? Because they're all bad guys. Yeah, they're all bad guys. And it seems like, you know, if you I mean, even though, like, you kind of know that Sam Spade is like one step ahead of everybody, mm-hmm. you're also like, or is he in over his head? Like, right. You don't. It's not super clear until. It really comes together nicely at the mm-hmm. end. Yeah. I mean, he does say, like, at one point in the movie, like, so the DA's not going to believe me unless I just bring a gift wrap to him, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the first hint where it's like, he knows he kind of needs to, like, solve it and make everybody confess and everybody give him all the details. Right. So that he can just tell the DA, like, here it all is. Here it is. Just like I said. Obviously, uh, it stars Humphrey Bogart as Sam Spade. Yes. This is perhaps his breakout role. He ends up doing Casablanca a year after this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is kind of his breakout. He did other stuff like Angels with Dirty Faces. Mm -hmm. And he did like High Sierra. 
he did a handful of larger movies before this, and he wasn't even the original choice for Sam Spade. No, he wasn't. Who was? Um, another actor who was sort of like the um, the Brad Pitt of his time. Mm-hmm. Even though like film historians kind of don't understand why. Yeah, because he wasn't. He didn't have the range that Humphrey Bogart has. Yeah. But it's kind of funny. And 90, I feel like 90% of what I know about John Huston, who adapted the book and mm-hmm. directed this, is um, <laughs> that Daniel Day-Lewis kind of channels him in There Will Be Blood. So, <laughs> oh, God. Um, That's terrifying. Oh, George Raft was sort of like the the Hollywood star of the time. Okay. And John Houston basically said, if George Raft shows up on my set, I'll punch him with brass knuckles. Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Mary Astor plays Bridget Mrs. O'Shaughnessy. O'Shaughnessy, yeah. Yeah, and she's sort of like the, um, the femme fatale of the movie. Yeah. And she's like one of those like big tabloid <laughs> pictures of the 1930s and 1940s where she just kind of you know and more power to her she just kind of slept her way (laughs) to the top and she was having an affair with john houston oh good for her i mean Uh, probably not cool because he was obviously married yeah i found this really sweet too so sydney greenstreet who plays gutman Mm -hmm. this is his very first movie is it really yep he was in a play and John Houston saw it and said, I want that guy in my movie. So, you know, Sidney Greenstreet had been a theater actor for like 40 years prior to this, but acting for the stage and acting for the movies were completely different, which is one of the things that people say about George Raft mm-hmm. never really learned how to be like a modern movie star. Like he was always playing it too big where this kind of starts like a new acting style that Humphrey Bogart, even though he came from the theater, really kind of grasped the naturalistic sort of screen acting. Yeah. And this is very sweet. The first scene that Sidney Greenstreet has is the one where he's slipping the Mickey to Sam Spade. Uh-huh. And he was so nervous ahead of time that he told Mary Astor, he's like, I'm really scared. Would you please hold my hand? Oh. And for as big and blustery as he is in yeah. this movie, just knowing how like scared he was off camera Aww. is really sweet. That and really apparently sweet. this was a super fun set too. And oh, cool. this was the first time that he and Peter Lorre ended up working together. Like they ended up making nine films together total. That's awesome. Which, Peter Lorre, who is great in this. Oh, God, yes. And this movie has to be the inspiration for Ren and Stimpy. <laughs> like, <laughs> you idiot. Between, yeah. Yeah. Cut, uh, Gutman and Cairo. Their yeah. relationship there. Especially, he's like, you bungled it. You and your stupid attempt to buy it. Yes. Yeah. I would say, I would definitely say that Ren is uh, very much modeled after yeah. Peter Lorre. You, uh, you imbecile. The voice. You bloated idiot. You stupid yeah. fathead, you. Yeah. Yeah. And then Stimpy being larger. Yeah, big. Yeah, bigger. And just like, I don't see what the big deal is. Why are you freaking out? Like, <laughs> everyone on the set, and as serious as you've 
come to hear John Huston is, and this is his first movie that he directed too. Oh, is it really? And I guess he was contrary to like the image I have of him. Mm-hmm. He was just sort of like, you know what? I have all these actors who have been doing it a lot longer than I have. I'm just going to listen to the more experienced people on my set. Oh, wow. And he was kind of humble about it. Mm-hmm. And all the actors got along great. They were doing a prank where they wanted to see how much they could smoke. That's so funny. <laughs> and then, like, censors got wind of that, and they were like, there's too much smoking in the movie. So um, everyone was told that, you know, like, all right, let's cut back on the smoking. And then John Huston noticed that the scenes didn't have the same atmosphere without everyone smoking. smoking yeah. So he went to the studio, and he's like, I need everyone to smoke. <laughs> and they were like, all right. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah, because people, you know, are smoking in literally every scene. Yeah. You know, at least one person is smoking, if not multiple people smoking. Like, everyone, even though this is like the third time in 10 years this book was adapted <laughs> into a movie, <laughs> everyone on set knew that they were doing something really special and groundbreaking, uh-huh. and they wanted it to be a surprise to everyone. So they would pull all these pranks when people would visit the set. Like uh-huh. they had it like, all right, let's do a number four. And then like Sydney Greenstreet and Humphrey Bogart would do like a pretend fight and just make everyone like really uncomfortable. And then they'd be like, let's do a number seven. And like uh, some reporter brought a group of priests to the set and they were like, let's do a number seven. So. <laughs> Mary Astor was like, I have a goddamn run in my stockings. God damn it. And they were like, let's get the priests out of here. You know. Oh, that's funny. Or they were like, let's do a number 10. And then Peter Laurie would come out of like women's dressing rooms, zipping up his pants and just like, I'll see you on set. You know, just oh. like just to get like everyone like, oh, what's going on what's here? What's going on? Yeah. yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Like it sounded like a really I think everybody had a good time making yeah. the movie as well, which, you know, you kind of like to hear that about any movie that you're watching. Like, it is always kind of a bummer. Like, when we watched um, The Great Race, when you were <laughs> yeah. telling me how miserable um, Natalie Wood was, it's kind of a bummer when you're like, oh, man, like, it's really too bad that she didn't enjoy making it. Yeah. Um. So, it's like, it's always nice to hear that on the Maltese Falcon Everybody was having a really good time making that movie. Right. It made me really happy knowing that. That's very cool. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I just, I really enjoyed this a lot and I feel bad that it took so long for (laughs) me to finally see. Yeah. It's a good one. Um, I watched it in college in one of my film classes um, because we were, you know, watching an example of film noir. And I feel like even my professor said, like, so this isn't like true, true noir, but this is kind of like the first. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like you said, it is it is actually pretty bright, but there are a lot of really good examples of noir and, you know, the very harsh shadows and all of that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, basically, the movie is just about Private Eye who gets hooked in. It's a bunch of people who are trying to get their hands on this thing called the Maltese Falcon. It's this falcon that's covered in jewels. um, Very rare. It's worth, you know, so much money, but it's been covered in black enamel, you know, to disguise, you know, what its value is. So, all these people are trying to find it, you know, so they can, you know, get their hands on the money it's worth. It's a lot of double crossing and a lot of lying. And eventually at the end, you find out that the thing that everyone was after 
was a fake. Yeah. <laughs> it's just made out of lead. I guess the previous two versions aren't even really told from Sam Spade's point of view. Mm. And this version only has one scene that Sam Spade is not in. And that's the one where his uh, partner gets killed. Gets killed, yeah. That's the only scene that he's not in. Yeah, he is, he is in every single scene. You also see kind of his relationship with everyone around him. Like, it's, it's fun to go to watch it from his perspective and see his relationship with everybody. Like, his relationship with, like, the secretary, Effie, and his relationship with the police. And then, like, you kind of find out later, Miles, his partner, he'd been having an affair with Miles' wife. And it kind of gives you an idea of maybe how that relationship was, even though, you know, Miles was killed off pretty quickly. I wonder if Archer, the TV show, is named at all after Miles Archer, the character from this. Oh, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I'd be curious to see how much pop culture was influenced by this. Besides the obvious, you know, an entire genre. Yeah. I mean, really, anytime a woman walks into a PI agency and is like, I need your help. I believe it's definitely from this movie. It's really neat to see the movie that inspired all these tropes. Yeah. All these things that became tropes mm-hmm. because of this movie. Yeah. It's it's sort of like when we watch Cheech and Chong. Yeah. Up in Smoke. It's like, yeah, a lot of... The jokes in Up in Smoke seem kind of hack because we've seen them in Harold and Kumar, Kumar. and Half Baked. Half Baked and every other stoner movie, but yeah. that's where they started. Yeah. So you kind of you end up appreciating like what you're watching, even though you're like, oh, you know, this has been done a million times. So like, well, it was done a million times because of this. We have to be the only people who have ever brought up Cheech and Chong's Up in Smoke while talking about the Maltese Falcon. I, I would venture to guess you're probably right about that. Um, <laughs> I remember really, really liking this when I first saw it. And um, when I was, you know, when I was in the class watching this, I was probably one of the older people in the class. You know, it's a lot of like 18, you know, to 22 year olds. Yeah. And I was probably like 26 or 27. I think I probably had a little bit more patience for it. I remember a lot of people being like, it was so confusing. It was so hard to follow. And I'm like, well, that's kind of the point, you know, like yeah. that's sort of how it is. Even with movies like, uh, say, like Logan Lucky or The Italian Job or even Ocean's Eleven. Like it's complicated Yeah, the, through the whole thing. They're kind of designed to watch a second time. Yes, so that you can notice what you missed the first time. Like, the first time, your first watch when you're watching it is, what's going on? You know, you're trying to figure out the mystery with everyone else. The second time, you can go back and you can see the clues a little clearly. So, I think when I watched it the first time, I was sort of more understanding of that. And I'm not saying, you know, like, everyone in the class didn't like it. It wasn't wasn't like that at all. I think it was, like, split 50-50, where some people were like, that was great. You know, it was really fun to see that. And other people were like, I just didn't know what was going on. It was really hard to follow it. And also, some people said they thought it was boring Mm. because it's an older movie, so it's not, like, cutting, cutting, cutting. The pacing is is different nowadays. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, like, I was listening to that um, 
oh, I can't remember what they called it, but it was the podcast with Lauren Lapkus and Nicole Byer where they went through. Oh, first timers or something? Yeah, they watched all the Star Wars movies and they were talking about how slow Star Wars is. And I think probably by today's standards, Star Wars A New Hope is slow, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't feel slow to me. No, it doesn't feel slow to me either because I saw it when I was young. Yeah. So I guess like pacing generally doesn't bother me that much like unless it's really like poorly poorly paced but if it's i mean if it's a good movie and it's just paced slower that's fine it's a weird thing about pacing because there's no fluff in this movie Mm -hmm. every single scene is important exactly and sets up something later on Mm -hmm. it's a weird thing when people talk about movies being too slow like i can understand if there's a lot of filler but yeah there isn't any filler in this i think it's because you know each scene is like a full scene it's not like you know a minute long you know it's right it's it's an actual scene from a movie that's a few minutes you know it's not 30 seconds and then we're on to the next one i think pacing is much faster now because we have shorter attention spans but i mean i still think movies will deliberately have longer scenes and and be spread out you know like fargo for example you know it's paced like that to set a mood Mm -hmm. and i think for the maltese falcon it's paced the way that it is to also set a mood Mm -hmm. you know it holds on you know certain shots or I think one of the things that I liked was when you're in Sam Spade's apartment, you know, yes, he's in a studio apartment in San Francisco, but it's small and it's kind of claustrophobic and there's a lot of furniture in there. And I think that's, I like it because I feel like it's representative so much of like the situation they're all in Mm -hmm. where they're like feeling closed in on and... You know, things are tense because they're waiting, you know, see if they're caught or what's going on or they're waiting to hear from someone or, you know, they're waiting for, you know, someone to deliver something. It's I like the way that that's set. I like the way these scenes are set up so that they're kind of tight and small so that you kind of feel that pressure that maybe they're feeling, too. Exactly. Yeah. Or, like, even when they're in the big mansion, it's, like, it's big and bright, but it's also, like, you kind of don't really know. You're waiting for something to happen, so you feel that unease of being, like, there's all this room for something to happen, but you don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm reaching too far with that. <laughs> no, no, no. You, I, I hear what you're saying. I would be interested in watching more, both more John Huston movies mm-hmm. and more Humphrey Bogart movies. I've only seen Casablanca and Maltese Falcon. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see Treasure of the Sierra Madres. I believe that is another Humphrey Bogart, John Huston. Yeah, I think joint. so. Let me see. I, I didn't realize this until just now. Did you know that John Huston also directed the 1982 film version of Annie? Did he really? I just imagine him going to the girls like, all right, now I need you to smile when you say the sun will come out tomorrow. Oh, my. A big smile. God. You got a razzle dazzle. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. Um. So Humphrey Bogart was, all, he, I mean, obviously he had a very large filmography, 
but he he was in the original Sabrina with um I think it's Aub- Audrey Hepburn I think mm-hmm. um and I saw that I mean he does a lot of you know like you said angels with dirty faces yeah there's a lot of stuff like uh, African Queen mm-hmm. that I'd really like to see yeah I would like to see that one too this is fun so he's in a movie in 1953 called Battle Circus with mm-hmm. June Allison. And the way June Allison spelled her last name is where my mom got the spelling for my name. Oh, that's neat. That's how she decided to spell it the way she did. Hmm. Yeah. It feels like every um, film poster, he's either smoking or holding a gun or kissing a lady. Yeah. (laughs) That's all that's happening. Smoking, holding a gun, kissing a lady. I love it that he is, that John Huston is, was this like phenomenal screenwriter that he was able to say give me a chance to direct and then he kind of came known as like this powerhouse director yeah i mean i think that's pretty admirable you know you don't get that a lot yeah you know where someone can not only started a genre but also really kick-started humphrey bogart's career Mm -hmm. john houston's career as a director Mm -hmm. sydney greenstreet's film career totally Mm -hmm. and then the collaboration between sydney greenstreet and peter laurie yeah it was definitely a stepping stone to a lot of great things for a lot of people and the movie was made like 80 years ago yes how insane is that that does feel pretty crazy like it came out in what 41 or was it set in 41 it came out in 41 41 and we're in 2021 and we're still talking about it it's still studied i think it's insane too that it was remade that it was made or adapted as a film three times within 20 years or yeah. within 10 years. Well, I mean, I think that sort of thing does happen. I guess it's by like today's standards, you know, you could have like three sequels or whatever, but mm-hmm. this would essentially be like if Hot Tub Time Machine was <laughs> okay. already made three times, like it came out in 2010 and, you know. Yeah. Or I guess kind of along those same lines, in 2010, Death at a Funeral, the remake, remake came, out. came out. Yeah, yeah. Death at a Funeral is a play. Was it? It was a play. Oh, okay. And then- I've seen both film versions. Yeah. And then it was adapted for film in the UK, and then it was adapted for film in the US. But, I mean, the US version of the UK film is literally a shot-for-shot remake. Mm-hmm. Of the UK version, it's With, like... I believe, Alan Tudyk in both versions. Yes. Yeah. I believe so. Hmm. It's weird. Movies are peculiar. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you liked this. Oh, I loved it. I had a feeling it would kind of be up your alley, because I know you like... Um, I mean, I feel like you have a soft spot for a nice hard-boiled detective movie. It really... Makes me want to do that podcast idea that I had. I don't know if we would take and literally adapt. Like, my dad has all these Pulp Fiction novels. Yeah. And just some of the dialogue in them is, you know, like. so funny. Last time I saw her, she was wearing, she was only wearing a G-string that only went up to A. Yeah. (laughs) Like, Like, the dialogue is like, what does that even mean? Yeah. Because you could do so much of the narration as voiceover of the detective character, mm-hmm. because that's how a lot of them are written, too. Yeah, where it's, you know, like a monologue over. 
I would really love to do a podcast that is just adapting those books. Oh, Lord. And I feel like you don't even have to, like, punch them up to, like, make them funny. I think No, they're, they're all- already funny. I mean, the way a lot of them are written, it's it's pretty comical to read them nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe I'll do that as a project sometime. Yeah, maybe. That'd be fun. Yeah, this movie definitely made me want to. Well, that's good. I'm glad. Yeah. It's um, it's a fun one. Um, all the characters are, I think, really. I mean, they're all crazy. And none of them are like one dimensional. Like they all are fully fleshed out characters. Yeah, they're all complicated, which is nice. They all have interesting relationships with each other. Mm-hmm. The acting is phenomenal. It's very exciting to see how everyone worked together so seamlessly. One of the relationships that I enjoyed so much was the relationship between Sam Spade and Effie, the secretary. Mm-hmm. Because you can tell that she just gets him. She's yeah. like, I just get how he is. But it's, like, not sexual at all. Like, even though he calls her, like, darling and angel and stuff like that, they just understand each other in a way that's so lovely, where he's, like, he knows that she lives at home with her mom, is so, like, gentle with her, but she's, like, gentle with him, too. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, he's, like, what do you think of her? And she's, like, she seems like a good egg, you know? like. But she was wrong. Yes and no. She's, like, she's got something going on, but... I don't think she'd lie to you, which, I mean, she kind of did, but she also was, like, pretty truthful with him. You know, like, when when uh, Gutman accuses her of taking one of the bills mm-hmm. out of the envelope, and he looks at her, and he's like, you know, he doesn't have any reason to trust her, but she's like, I didn't take it, you know? And he's like, no, you palmed it, like... He has, like, a pretty decent judge of character. And you can tell because he doesn't end up with her in the end. Yeah. You know, even though she's like, I love you. And he's like, yeah, I love you too. But you killed Miles. You did this. You know, you're. I have to turn you in. I'm not going to say that it's not going to feel like shit sometimes. But, yeah, I'm not going to I'm not going to be a sap. <laughs> yeah, he did like that bro code. <laughs> there. Like, Yeah, that he's like, you killed somebody. You killed my partner. I have to do something yeah. about it. I can't. You don't understand what it's like to be a man. Yeah. You killed another man. Yeah. But more importantly, I'm a private investigator. You killed another private investigator. Therefore, yeah. I have to turn you. Like, yeah, sometimes like, mm, the mm. rationale doesn't always make sense. But I do like that he's not. The thing that I like about it is that it's realistic in that sense. Where it's like, yeah, would you throw it all away for a woman you just met? No, you like, no, that's not yeah. how it would go. Even if you were like, yeah, like we kind of because, you know, it's implied that they had sex. Like, even though they've been hooking up, he's still like, yeah, no, like he still killed my partner. And even though we didn't have the perfect relationship, I can't just let you get away with it because I don't really know you. I like that he doesn't that he's realistic about it. And I think today's. You know, the way that movies are a lot of times where is where, you know, there's a fantasy and the fantasy continues, you know, Mm. where it's like, I pick you. I will always be you. I like movies like this or even like Casablanca where they're like, it's not going to be a fairy tale ending here. Right. You know, like Gone with the Wind where, you know, she's like, Rhett, I love you. And he's like, I don't care. You know, you were awful. So bye. I like that. 
Well, spoiler for Gone with the Wind. I've never seen it. You've seen the ending. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Do you want to watch Gone with the Wind? Yeah, I do, actually. Okay, it's really long. I know it is. It's like four hours. Yeah. I remember when I would rent it from the video store because I was that kind of a weird kid. It was one of those ones where you had to rent it in two tapes. Yeah. Yeah. Like how Titanic was two tapes. Yeah, I think we have it on two DVDs downstairs. Oh, probably. Yeah. I Well, I know that you really like Gone with the Wind because you're always talking about how the South will rise again. That is not true. And you're entitled to your beliefs. I'm going to slap you in the face. Like, I really am. I was trying to think of who the modern day equivalent is of Humphrey Bogart. And the closest I could come up with was Harrison Ford playing Rick Deckard in Blade Runner, even though that's a movie that's 40 years old now. Um, But I think one of the flaws of Blade Runner, and I think on paper, the Deckard character is supposed to be a lot like Sam Spade. Mm -hmm. But I think there is some sort of charm that Humphrey Bogart had that Harrison Ford as charming as he is doesn't have that type of charm. Yeah, he's more grizzled charm. Yeah. Where Humphrey Bogart has a smooth charm, like a welcoming charm, even though he seems kind of hard to break through to, it's also like I don't know. I I know what you're saying. There's something there that... Yeah. Like Harrison Ford has that scruffy looking nerf herder scoundrel yeah like charm mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yes but he doesn't have that you know teflon charm yes. that humphrey bogart has yeah 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 i i really enjoyed this a whole lot after we watched it i ended up watching a handful of youtube videos kind of going into the backstory and it's definitely one of those things that i want to dive deeper into like a wiki hole yeah and learn as much about this film as i can mm-hmm. yeah i i'm really glad that i finally watched this and i'm really bummed that it took me so many years to finally see it well i mean in fairness it is a movie that came out in the 40s so there's a lot of movies that have come out since then yeah. um even though this is considered a classic i mean there are so many movies that are considered classics so you know the fact that you got to it is pretty great it's kind of odd that as much as my dad loved pulp fiction novels and you know like western novels and stuff like that mm-hmm. movie wise he leaned more towards westerns and not as much with the detective stories like this mm-hmm. and i feel like if my dad had been more of a fan of this genre of movie i probably would have seen more of them mm-hmm. and i think a lot of the movies that my dad likes are things that came out like in the 50s maybe mm-hmm. like maybe because my dad was 3 years old in 1941 yeah maybe it was one of those things that my dad was even like i don't want to watch that old movie it could be it could very but well but i be. know that they saw it cuz my mom saw yeah this. she said yeah. she'd seen it yeah. yeah yeah maybe it was just one that didn't you know click with him quite as much Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe it was one where because maybe, you know, your dad liked to be swept up in a story and maybe once the mystery was solved, he was kind of like, I'm kind of done with it. Maybe, yeah. You know, it, some people are like that where they're like, I don't need to revisit, you know, it's 
been solved to him, you know, whereas like with a fantasy or, you know, something like that, it's you can get swept up in the story again because it's not something that gets solved. Yeah. You know, there was something that Louis and Johnny said in their episode of We Are Movies that was made to just rip us apart. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Their water world defense. You know what? Still a great episode. Yeah. It's a phenomenal episode. It makes me laugh. One of my favorite episodes of We Are Movies, but because they're talking about you, <laughs> yes. But one of them brings up the notion of like dad movies, mm-hmm. and oh, yeah, I don't mean to get like all kind of sappy, sentimental, but I wish my dad and I, number one, I wish he was still around, yeah, and I wish he and I had a different type of relationship because I would have loved to do some sort of podcast series where my dad introduces me to his favorite movies growing up. Yeah. But, and I don't really, aside from like John Wayne and Clint Eastwood stuff, I don't really have much of a way of knowing what were the movies that he really enjoyed. And honestly, kind of don't have a lot of desire to revisit John Wayne stuff just because of, you know, it's not like a new revelation because it's from a Playboy article from the 70s. But, you know, it's kind of a, you know, and it's no surprise. Like, John Wayne is kind of a shithead. Yeah. I mean, like, it's, like you said, it's no secret. Like, people know. Yeah. Um, whatever. And, you know, Clint Eastwood isn't the most progressive guy either, but... No, he's not. I mean, I think he is probably not as far... He's not as deeply conservative, I think, as John Wayne was, but... No, John Wayne was outright racist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Clint Eastwood is probably leaning a little more moderate, but yeah, he definitely isn't, you know. Yeah. All right. Well, we've gone off on a large tangent. We have. But you know what? I'm glad that this was a movie that also made you, like, think of your dad. Yeah. Um, Because it's, I feel like you are feeling um, connected to him because you feel like this is something he would have liked. Yeah. And I think that's sweet that, you know, there are still these moments where you feel like you're connecting with him even though he's gone. Yeah. And I imagine I'm going to have moments like this for the rest of my life. Yeah, I'm sure you will. And I hope I do. You know, I I hope I still have discoveries or have moments that, you know, make me wish that he were still around. And, you know, there's a lot of modern stuff, too. Like, as much as my dad loved the original Stormtroopers... Mm-hmm. from the Star Wars movies and as much as my dad loved westerns I know my dad would love the Mandalorian. Yes, he so would have. Every he would I, have loved the Mandalorian. Every episode that I watch of the Mandalorian, particularly if there's one where stormtroopers show up, mm-hmm. I always kind of think of my dad. And I think that's great because I feel like this is going to sound really sappy, but I feel like that's kind of how people stay with us after they're gone is when you think of them when you're experiencing something, whether it's, you know, TVs or movies or if you're out and about in the world. Like, I'm sure every time we see a canon, you're going to think of your dad. Oh, yeah. Definitely. You know, I mean, I think it's just I think that's how people are never really gone mm-hmm. because you know, even though you can't talk to them or, you know, touch them anymore, like they're still there. They're never really away because you're still experiencing things that make you feel connected to them. Mm-hmm. And I guess that makes me less afraid of the situation that you're in. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing that they're never really gone. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Wow. This was nice. Good. I love you so much. I love you so much. Sorry. I feel choked up right now. I know. 
I know. I I appreciate you on so many levels, and I'm really glad that we do this podcast together. Me too. And I love you with all my heart. And I love you with all my heart. Okay. Well, till next episode, that I'll probably <laughs> ruin the magic by making you watch Cherry 2000 or oh, something awful like that. Yay! <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>